0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. This Saturday, final day of this week, the 20th day of the second month, we stand in your presence. Believing that we serve a God who speaks Speak to us once again this morning, Lord. Teach us. Teach us, O Lord. You are the way. Teach us your ways. That we may walk in it. Anoint us to hear everything that stands between us and you, Lord. Be moved out. That our hearts, our minds... Now ears attuned to you and to you alone, O oh God. For you have the words of life. Your word is life. Your word brings healing. Your word brings deliverance. Your word has the power to create things that are not yet in our lives. That's the power of your word. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen, Amen. For the past few, few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the book of Judges and the book of Nehemiah, alternatively on weekdays. And we've been teaching Scripture, verse by verse. And the whole purpose is that... uh We find Jesus in every page of the Bible, literally. And we find His purpose. We have to find His purpose. Then only He can live through us. We can't find our purpose and use His power. We have to find His purpose and then He empowers us. If we believe what we hear, we hear. And we believe what we hear. Then as servants of God, it's our job to prepare God's people for what you believe. In Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. The Bible talks about all scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for what? Why do we study the Bible? Why do we teach the Bible? That the man of God, in any spirit, anywhere, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the purpose. Okay, so if you believe something, then we prepare people for that. If you believe something that is prophetic in your life, God comes and speaks something in your life. You see, Samson didn't believe much of the stuff that was told about him. So he didn't prepare. Okay. Hannah believed in what she vowed to her f- God therefore she prepared her son to be that vessel so we hear something then we study and prepare ourselves there is a preparation that goes in okay we can only teach i can only teach i can only prepare myself i cannot prepare anybody i can only teach okay so each one has to prepare and that's one of the fundamental purposes of teaching of the word of god and we saw in, in the book of Judges so far that we have looked, three chapters, four chapters, and, uh, in the book of Nehemiah that he is the deliverer. He is the deliverer. I mean, his ways do not change. You can take a nation situation and apply it to a personal situation, individual or a family. He is the builder of our walls, of our salvation. And that, When the gates are actually hung at the 10 gates, it doesn't matter what situation we go through, there is always praise. We enter his courts with thanksgiving, and we praise him through it all. And we see that fundamental principle applied by Paul in the prison. He says, in everything, we're anxious for nothing. Again, the church in the first century was really, really going through a rough time. And they had to go for a rough time for the first 300 years before things changed. And the principle does not say change, whether you are in the sheep gate or the valley gate or the dung gate, God says you enter with praise, with thanksgiving. So this morning, we will look at the new covenant because we are living in extraordinary times like in the first century, okay, where the preaching of the gospel is being severely being restricted. Like yesterday, the Chinese government has announced that all the churches have to adhere to the communist, Chinese communist party. The churches, okay? Okay, so they're asking for loyalty, just like the church in the first century had to first loyal to Caesar and then loyal to whichever God you worship, but first Caesar. Now they are saying the party above your God. So, everywhere you see, Severe restrictions, even in the free world. You can preach Christ if you agree with our ideology. A Christ who is gay, who is transgender, who is tolerant to all these things, that Jesus you can preach. Okay? That Jesus. If you change the Jesus and you preach the Jesus of the, the Bible, then you will be in trouble. A uh, Canadian pastor was this week uh, was uh, sent to prison. Because he refuses, refused to stop the worship services according to the local COVID restrictions. Okay. So it doesn't matter which part of the world you are in. If you are going to stand on the word of God, the restrictions are getting severe. Yet we have the greatest season ever. Simply because of the internet. Okay. Yet censoring is coming. Okay, so we do not know how long this window of opportunity God is giving us. Window of opportunity God is giving us. And I believe it will be there for some time. Before they start censoring the messages too. Whether we are politically correct in our messages. That we preach according to what they say. But we have to preach. That's why we preach every day. Every day. Because the internet is giving us an unbelievably impossible in old days opportunity that anybody anybody can go on the internet and preach you have youtube jesus said in john chapter 9 and verse 4 if i'm right 9 and verse 4 yes i must work the works of him who sent me while it is day it is still day it's not dark okay twilight By till day, even in restricted nations, the underground churches are meeting in whichever way they can. The word is going out. It's till day. The night is coming when no one can work. Okay. A time and a season will come when no one can work. So when it is day, it's our God given duty to keep preaching, to keep preaching. So today we'll turn to first Thessalonians chapter one. Okay. This is probably the first letter in the New Covenant. Okay, we cannot be 100% sure because we do not have provable historical evidence saying, biblical evidence saying this is the first letter. But almost all theologians agree the first letter that was written was First Thessalonians, though the order is not that way. This was the first letter written. And uh, it's an incredible church. Incredible church. Okay. We'll read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 1 to 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Acacia, Achaia, who believe, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For so they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom you raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, so, if the historical evidence is true, these are the first verses, lines written Recorded in scripture by God through an apostle to the church. Thessalonica is not in Greece. It is in Macedonia. Okay, Philippi and Thessalonica are all cities in Macedonia. Most people don't know Macedonia, but everybody will know Macedonia. If you know Alexander the Great came from Macedonia. Okay, So it's a tiny little nation which conquered most of the then known world. Okay. Alexander was a product of Macedonia, and his father was Philip, that's why you have the city, Philippi, okay, he's uh, aunt, uh, his half-sister, uh, Philip's um, stepdaughter, uh, half, oh, no, not from the queen, uh, uh, she was Thessalonica okay, so that is the city of Thessalonica, so it's all history, okay, I cut my teeth in my childhood, now I'm learning biblical history, okay. <laughs> so there is Macedonia, I don't know if you remember when uh, Neville came many years ago. He had a couple of his friends who came with them. And one of them was Toby. Then I asked Toby, your citizen asked Toby, where are you originally from? Because I always ask, I want to know the roots from it. She said, I'm from Macedonia. I said, wow, you're from Alexander. She said, you're the first one who connected. Nobody knows where Macedonia is. Okay. So I've met a Macedonian in my life too. Okay. You all met if you may remember Toby. Okay. So that's, where Thessalonica is. If we know how it takes place, okay? In Acts chapter 16, we will go to Acts chapter 16, and we'll go from verse 6, okay, to 10, how this journey of Paul takes place. It's interesting, okay? Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So the Holy Spirit can forbid you to preach the word of God in certain places. It has happened to me. He has told me, certain churches, he said, you will not preach. Okay. He told him, I mean, it is, we are his servants. So he says, preach there, don't preach there. It's up to him. Okay. Forbidden to preach the word in Asia. Not that, it was, that Asian should not hear for a season or not him, somebody else. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. See how these people are being led by the Spirit. And they're full of zeal, absolutely zealous. But the Holy Spirit restricts your zeal also. He puts boundaries for his purposes. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That is Paul's entry into Europe. He's entering into Europe. Okay, That's how the gospel reaches Europe. He's entering into Macedonia. But if you know, the first city he goes into is Philippi and gets royally beaten up. Okay, but the church is established. He gets beaten up, but the church is established. Okay, there was beatings in prison, deliverance. Jailer and the family comes and then they escort him out of the city, ask him to leave. Okay, he leaves Philippi and goes to Thessalonica. And knowing Paul, he first goes and finds a synagogue. Because that's your first entry. Anywhere you go, you also look for a church. You cannot go and preach in the streets. Everywhere you go, you look for a church. We go preach in a church. He goes to a synagogue. And the Bible says he preached there for three Sabbaths. If We go to chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. Just giving you the background of what is happening here. Okay, 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. They roughly say from Philippi to Thessalonica is around 100 kilometers from here to warangal but no buses, okay, <laughs> where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from scriptures, okay, so three weeks. We're not definitely saying that he was only there for three weeks, maybe after the third week, usually he's kicked out, <laughs> so he has to find, but roughly let us say he was there for three weeks explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying that this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace in the Gundas and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Jason is one of the leaders, and I believe they thought Paul and Silas was probably one of the converts. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason had harbored them, and these are all acting. Contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. See, whenever people, they immediately bring Caesar in. Or people will bring, you know, pride of the nation, nationalism, all these things in. Okay, has an excuse. These are Jews. And they are talking about Caesar. Okay, they did never learn fully from the Babylonian captivity. Saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. What is the security? You will get Paul and Silas out of the city. Okay. Their uh, visa has been canceled. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the historians say. They took a bond that they wouldn't come back for quite some time. They would not enter the city. Because one of the historical truths about Thessalonica was that Thessalonica was a free city. When the Caesars were fighting, there was conflict between them. Thessalonica supported the Caesar who won. Therefore, Caesar gave them the free status, meaning that he won't, he won't have a garrison of Roman soldiers over there. So they had this free status. Okay, So they were always afraid that if somebody went and complained that there is somebody here bringing Caesar, starting a group against Caesar, they will lose their free status. That is why they were worried. And the Jews are very smart over there. They used the name of Caesar. So the city elders immediately said, please bond, please let these people go from here and let them not come back. Okay. So there is Paul there. Immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to burial. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Okay. They go to the next. And that is where, yeah, that is where we are in. So he's away, but whether it was three weeks or more, he's already established a church. It doesn't take long if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the authentic word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit backing up. Churches will start because people will get saved. And you will see you have believers from the Jewish community and we have believers from the Greek community and there is a church. So you have the first letter he's writing to the church in Thessalonica because it's a new nascent church and they have to be, Disciple, they have to be rooted in the Word of God, and it's an incredible letter to the first letter. Everything comes in that letter, okay? And we know Paul had a great heart for the churches in Macedonia. He will mention that in the church to the letter to the Corinthians, to the letter to in when he writes to the letter to the, um, the letter to Philippians, okay. And uh, we know that he wrote one letter to the church in Philippi, where he was kicked out, not church, he was not kicked out, he was chased out of Philippi, and he writes two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And this church was an incredible church, incredible church, okay? It was a church born in affliction, yet rejoiced in the Lord. We turn to First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is what it says. Okay. For you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. He says you were born in affliction, but you have become an example to everybody. You have become Affliction should not and cannot stop the working of the Holy Spirit in us. People go through affliction, but affliction should not take the joy. Our joy is not connected to our circumstances. Our joy is of the Holy Spirit. That is what the Bible is talking about, the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's not a joy that is given by our circumstances. Our circumstances takes our joy away. Then the joy definitely was not from God. In great affliction, they received the word of God and the church is thriving. It it is doing well. But there's a key words. There's a key words over there. The key words is why did they do so well? Verse 2 and 3. Okay. And three things are highlighted in verse 3. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Why? Remembering without ceasing. Okay, why? Your work in faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Three things he mentions over there which are important. The work of faith, the labor of love and the patience of hope okay now there's no contradiction between paul and james yes. paul will say uh, talk about a faith uh, you are saved by grace through faith and not by works james will say faith without works is dead but this is paul bringing both paulian theology and james theology together because it's the same holy spirit okay there's no there is no there is no confusion here the work of faith, faith has works. Faith has works. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, faith comes first, and works follow. If works comes before faith, then that work is not accepted. By grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so work comes before faith, then that work God ought not accept. But if you are trying to save yourself by your good works, that work is not accepted. You are saved by grace that comes through faith. But once you have been saved, you realize suddenly something has changed. Now you are God's workmanship. You are a new creation, Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You are Christ's creation. For what? Why did he create you for as a new person in Christ? Why were you born again? What is the purpose? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a set of works for everybody, and we should walk in them. And we can walk in them only if we are led by the Holy Spirit. And if we try to do our own things, if we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He will restrict us, like He did. It is a good work He's going to do. I mean, what's wrong in preaching in Asia, but the Holy Spirit says it's not now. This is not the time and not the place. Why? Because there have been works prepared for you even before the creation of the world, Paul and Silas, and this is not the work. My work is different. Then they go to another place, they are stopped there also by the Holy Spirit. They are not doing bad works. The intention is not to do anything bad. It's actually good, godly work, but it's still not acceptable because the work which we have to do through the Holy Spirit, He has to lead us into it. He has to empower So on the Third instance, you will see they see a vision, a man from Macedonia. Then they know they've got the leading of the Holy Spirit, where to go. They're going to break into a new continent. So the work of faith. So there is no confusion here. There are works of faith. Okay. And it's the grace of God working through us. But if you look at it there, they not only had the work of faith, they also had the labor of love. Verse 3 right they also had the labor of love they not only had the labor of love they also had the patience of hope okay so we know in first corinthians 13 and verse 13 yeah 13 13 paul brings and puts these three at the top of our experience now abide faith hope love these three but the greatest of these is love okay of all the three things in the kingdom of god now when we are living okay, on earth, in this material body, not in the next post-resurrection, then you don't need faith, you don't need hope, you only have love, but therefore that's why the greatest is love, because love you will take it into eternity too, you don't need faith in the current sense, because we will be with God, experiencing the power of God visibly, so there is faith, hope, And love, three great things in the kingdom of God in the life of every believer. How does it work? Faith has works. Love has labor. It goes beyond faith. And you know what? When you have faith has works and you have the love or the labor of love, you have the patience of hope. Hope has patience. Okay? You're not fidgety. Then that is not hope the hope of god that is given by the holy spirit is patient because god's character is he's very patient so we patiently wait for the day of the lord so paul will also say you have all these things for works of faith but if you do not have love it's worth nothing why we need faith But we also need equally or even more the labor of love. God created everything by faith. Everything he created by faith. But he gave his son because of love, not by faith. He gave his son. He loved the world so much. He gave his son. Though he created everything, everything is created by faith. He gave his son by love. So, the church in Thessalonica is a model church. If you want to look for a model church and a model believer in a model church, this is it. They had the work of faith. They had the labor of love. And they also had the steadfastness, the patience, or the perseverance of hope. So, suddenly, we have a picture. If the pastors, all who are listening today, you have a picture. What does a model church look like? What does a model church look like? Or what does a model believer look like? What does a model believer look like? But remember, this model to this church was set by the apostle. He was the pastor, the first pastor, three-week pastor or one-month pastor. But he set a model. I mean, in three weeks, he could really, really influence a church by his life, not just by his words. In chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, okay, 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. He demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit in much assurance. They looked at him and they saw his assurance. I looked at his confidence in Christ in the midst of affliction. As you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake? He says, in three weeks, you understood what kind of people we are among you. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy. So he said, we set a model before you, right? Right. So, you, you, you were of the Jewish community and the Greek community and let us say a new faith is coming in. And you're going to be ostracized in your community. You're going to go through really, really affliction. But then, you heard what I went through in Philippi. And I hadn't given up. I hadn't quit. You saw my steadfastness in the midst of affliction. Okay? you didn't say okay i give it up this is not worth i'm going back to jerusalem no i travel even further inland you saw me and you saw my life among you and you know what he set an example for them and you know what the church picked it up if paul can do it we can do it his faith is his faith is genuine his faith is genuine we want to imitate him we want to imitate him so you have a, a model believer there A model believer there and a church, who a model believer who's modeling himself after the pattern set by the Lord. There's the Lord Jesus is our model. Paul patterns his life after him and the church patterns their life after Paul. Okay. And they followed him and the Lord. So primarily it does not matter who you were. Like Paul does not matter who you were, but what you are now what you are now it was and always is the gospel of grace and they saw paul and they saw grace living through paul okay now quickly we'll go through a few parts of grace because we are also teaching an online audience who may not know all the facets of grace grace has many parts okay we have only looked at uh, Three parts. We look at the fourth part today. And we look at the fifth part tomorrow. Okay. First is Ephesians one eight 2.8. We saw that we are saved by grace. You have been saved through faith by grace. What is that saved? Meaning from the penalty of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Anybody who has been saved will never have to go through that penalty of sin. Eternal separation from God. Okay, who has been saved. You have been saved from penalty of sin. Wages of sin is death. And death is eternal separation from God, not the physical death. He says, don't worry about uh, what happens to your bodily death. Be worried about him who after that can throw you into hellfire. That is the death we are talking about. We are saved from that. Jesus took that penalty on the cross. We believed in that and that alone. That's why the works we are talking about, no works can be added to grace. But when you receive grace, works has to be added to it. Work plus grace, zero. Grace plus works, acceptable. Grace will lead to works of grace. And it will be works of grace. Okay, that's how it works. Second thing, grace does. So once you have taken hold of the penalty of sin, we still remember we are struggling with all the issues which were there before we got saved. We Only the penalty was taken away. Okay. Penalty was taken away, but the nature was not taken away. You have to fight that nature. The nature is there. A new nature also has been born. But an old nature is struggling for mastery, not struggling, fighting vigorously for mastery because he was the lord of your life. (laughs) Now he has been dethroned and he hates that. He wants to take back control. So grace, second part of grace has two parts. One, it teaches us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It, grace has to be taught. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Yeah. And yeah. From there, 11 onwards. No, no. 11 onwards. Yeah, Appear to all men. It teaches us. Okay. It teaches us. First, it teaches. First, you have to be taught before you can do anything. The kids sitting over here. Can they, if I ask, oh, Abigail is big, if I ask Sarah, uh, 15 plus 15, and if she hasn't done double-digit addition, she will not know. You have to teach it. You have to teach it, okay, what is right and what is wrong. You have to teach it. If you do not teach it, people do not know what the life in Christ is, The life in faith is. So it teaches us to say no and to say Yes, say no to godliness and worldly passions and say yes to self-control, uprightness and godly life. So grace will teach you. So what are we doing from behind the pulpit? It's the teaching of grace. It's the teaching of grace. No to this. Yes to this. No to this. Yes to this. Okay. And grace will also teach you the patience of hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace will teach you to say yes to this, no to this. It will teach you how to patiently wait while you are fighting. How long, Lord, I have to struggle like that? Wait, grace will teach you. Wait, wait, he will come. And also, what does it teach, Father? Verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It will also teach us to be zealous for the works of faith. That's why they saw all this in in Paul. He got beaten up in Philippi. He instead of going back, he's con- traveling further in. And he will have to leave Thessalonica also. Then he will go to Beria. This man cannot be stopped. So they see what the grace he's talking about is real. It is real. Because man's power will make you quit. Or you will fight back. He doesn't fight back. He continues with the message and he says, speak these things, exhort. Rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So grace teaches. First, grace takes away the penalty of sin, and you are born again by grace, and you have a new nature. The new nature has to be taught. A lot of people, including me, so many years of my life post salvation was because we did not receive teaching. And in 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 the in this world, there are millions and millions of actually saved. People who are just lost, wandering. You know why? They have never received the teaching of grace. What does grace teach you? What to do and what not to do. What to do and what not to do. What are the kind of works you are to do. They never received the teaching of grace. Okay? They never received the teaching of grace. Okay? And then when it comes to uh, the things... That grace teaches us you to do. No, it not only teaches you, it gives you power. That's Romans chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15. Because grace is not just a teaching, it is also the power. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. So grace is not only teaches you, Grace also is the power of God that enables you to battle and overcome sin. So this is the second part of grace. First part was penalty. Second was it teaches you to say no to certain things, yes to certain things, and gives you the power both to say no and to do the yes things. So the power is there in grace. Then we looked at the, we look at the third one that also we know. Grace now enables us to work. Enables us to work. Really enables 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Again, who you are, your background does not matter. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So if you look at this person, if you put in his resume, least. And worst. (laughs) Apostles over here. I am the least. Because he was called the last. I am the worst. They never persecuted the church. I did. They never have blood on their hands. I have. So if you put at his resume, he is the least and he is the worst. If you look in the world point of view. But, what's the difference? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He says, was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. He says, I have worked harder than all of them. It's not work using the term harder. If the word harder was using, then I can work hard and yet bring little profit to my establishment. But if I'm working abundantly, I'm not only working harder, I'm also bringing great profit into the kingdom of God. So that's the word abundant. Okay, when you use the word abundant, it brings a sense of profit. You brought in a great harvest. So he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So he says, you know what, I understood how to tap grace. So from the least, literally, if you look at church history, he becomes the greatest. From the worst, he becomes the best. How did it happen? It is the grace of God. And this is the teachings of grace. Grace can make you work hard and bring great harvest into the kingdom of God. He says, I worked harder. So no Christian can be a lazy fellow because he's been given grace. Grace equips you, enables you to work better and more than anybody in the world. And the simple picture in the Bible is the picture of, of Joseph. It didn't matter where you put him. It didn't matter where you put him. He worked more abundantly. He brought profit to his masters because he was a slave. And he worked harder. And the only reason was that there is the clue the Lord was with him. What does it mean? The Spirit of God was with him. What does it mean? The grace of God was with him. He learned how to walk in grace. Yet he was the nicest, the kindest man you would ever meet. So it is affecting his character. It is affecting the way he works. It's both. It is both. Please remember, it is both. Okay? From the least to the greatest, and the worst to the best. So we looked at three facets of grace. Today we look at the fourth facet of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and then verse 7. More of a brethren... We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the, we'll go to verse 2 also, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, okay, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, the deep poverty, abundant in the riches of their liberality, is bringing something over you here, okay, and he says to the church there, into Corinthian church, As you abound in everything, you see, you're very good in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace alone. What grace is he talking about? This is the fourth one, the grace of giving. Okay, grace gives. Grace gives. And we are not talking about just money. We are not talking about money. The lifestyle appropriated by grace is the life given over to giving. To the Lord and to others. And that's his final statement in his Timothy. My life is a drink offering being offered. And we have to understand. If you don't understand, because you see, when you you remember the parable about talents, everybody was given one each and the master came and asked for accounts. Forget the gifts. Forget the gifts. Talent also means give. It's more than that. When we reach heaven, he will ask us an account for the grace that was given. What do you do with my grace? The grace is the spirit of God. He's called the spirit of grace. What did you do with my grace? What did you do with my grace? That's why this is called the gospel of grace and the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace and we are servants of grace. Okay? So there it is. Now if you look and go back to uh, uh, Second Corinthians uh, 8, verse 1 and 2. He's writing to the church in Corinth, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I want to make, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Who's he talking about? The churches in Macedonia, Philippi. Thessalonica, he's talking about the Berea, he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. He said, you know what? When it came to the grace of giving, this church blows your gasket off. Okay, they'll knock you off the field. They were really givers. Remember, this is a new church. It's a young church. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you are young or if you understand the truth of God and allow you to harness, allow the Holy Spirit to harness your life. He says you will become just like God because God is a giver. One of the first statements He makes after He creates man is that I give you all the green herbs. You look around, I Give you. After Lot in his selfishness takes the best piece of real estate and goes and Abraham lifts his head, God says, look to your life, I give you. God is a giver. God's a giver. Okay? And that grace when it comes into our lives, we have to realize, you know what? I have to imitate my father's nature. My father is a giver. And when he comes, he gives us the son. Okay, he gives us his son. And then he's still not satisfied. He tells the son, you come up here, let me give them my spirit. And then when it comes to giving the spirit, the Bible says he gives the spirit without measure. Okay, so the father is a giver. So this is the fourth facet of grace, which you have to understand. And this is the key to their success. They understood it. Okay, faith works. Faith works. Love gives. Okay? Faith works. Love gives. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You can give without loving. Can You can be what you call, uh, and hope endures. While faith is working and love is giving, hope will endure, persevere till the end. Like I said, you can work without giving. You can work without giving. You can give without loving. You'll be the most efficient person in your organization. But people will keep away from you. Understand that. The kingdom of God does not accept that. Okay, The kingdom of God does not accept that. Because that's not the nature of God. When Jesus came in the flesh, people flocked around him. Okay, Pharisees also good. They had lots of good works. They were absolutely diligent in their giving. I mean, you get them one bunch of Karipatta, they will start separating one tenth goes for God. When it came to giving, they were to the T. But, they never gave themselves. Okay? So note this. This is a church in Thessalonica about whom he's talking about here. Okay? What it says, They were birthed in great affliction. Okay. Great affliction. They were birthed in great affliction. And in their affliction, they were giving. Usually people don't give in affliction. They give in good times. Okay. So like I said, they had not only heard, how did they get it? Because they saw the man. lived among them for a season they saw the man they had seen the gospel being lived out before their eyes okay that's what jesus had actually said when you receive the holy spirit you shall be my witnesses how did i live among you you live among them like that and the holy spirit will enable you you need to know the truth and then live it through by grace turn to first thessalonians chapter two verse two even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. The first thing they notice is that, you know what, this man, he has no bitterness at all. Let's say you go to North India and you get beaten up. I am i don't like North Indians. That's not he. I don't like this kind of people. Okay. Absolutely nothing. They looked at him, you know, he is let us say, an alien in their midst. And it is their people who has beaten him up. And he's still ministering to them in love and showing the love of God. You know what? I want you to bring into the kingdom. He didn't turn around and go to another people. They looked at him and he realized, you know what? There's no hatred in him at all, no bitterness, nothing. He genuinely loves them. They saw that. Even after we had suffered before and spitefully treated at Philippi, And they all heard the news. They all knew what had happened. And he's telling them, no bitterness at all. These are fundamental things which people will note. People will really, really note that whether we are ministry, you know, because Paul will say in the letter in Galatians, some people preach out of envy. Some people preach without envy, but bitterness. They're bitter because of ministry and what all. You will see people in ministry. I met people who are very, very bitter. Very, very bitter, but they will not. Although I cannot, the call is irrevocable. So I still have to keep serving. But they don't love people. They don't go, you know. And I'm not saying their teaching. Their teaching is fantastic. That's why Paul, uh, Jesus said, "Listen to the Pharisees. They sit on the seat of Moses. Listen to them. They're excellent, but don't be like them. Don't be like them, you know. Though they are hard. They are hard. They are bitter. And Jesus was not. And Paul is not." There was no bitterness at all. Okay? And if you go uh to Second Thessalonians chapter three, uh if I'm right chapter three and verse six or two six, just let me take a look. Yeah, uh it is not uh two six, not three six, two six, two six. Yeah. Okay. And you know. Oh, sorry, not second. First, we are in First Thessalonians, right? You are not in second. First Thessalonians 2, 6. Nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. What is he saying there? We didn't pull rank. Remember the first impeachment of President Trump on clown from the army was sitting there and says, Call me colonel. He didn't pull rank. The apostle is higher than anybody on earth. <laughs> Anybody on earth, anybody on earth, okay, we have modern day clowns also. One man suddenly realized, decided he's an apostle, came, told all the churches, when somebody called him pastor, he says, never call me pastor again, I'm apostle now. Here is a genuine apostle, through whom scripture was written. And he's saying, we could have made demands, an apostolic demand, and you know it, you would have to obey. We didn't make any of those demands. We didn't make any of these demands. So they saw a man who lived before them, no bitterness, just like them. Though he's an apostle, to whom the Lord personally appeared. Okay, and then what did he do? Verses seven and eight. Okay, not seven, eight, eight, yeah. 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So he says, we don't didn't give you the word alone, we gave you ourselves. That's what I said, you can be efficient and yet not give yourself. You will see professionals in any hospital, any this thing, hospital, officers, you will see efficient people. But they don't give themselves. They don't give themselves. And that's what the Bible is talking about. If you look over here, he says, he was not bitter, he did not pull rank, and he gave himself. Wherever he went, he gave himself. He gave himself. And they all knew. It didn't matter which church he went. They knew that. This man loved God. and This man loves the people to whom God sends him. And it's it's immaterial to him who those people are. He loved them. As God allowed himself open for the Holy Spirit to love people through him. And he says, I gave you myself. And this is scripture. The Holy Spirit sanctions this as scripture. So not only was he not bitter, not only did he not pull rank, not only he gave himself. Verse 10, among them, he says, you are witnesses and God also. We were devout, just, And blameless among you. You saw. You saw my life, he said. I lived among you. You saw me. I was devout. You saw me. Because he's saying, you know, I was setting an example for you. They probably saw him early in the morning like Jesus. Jesus lived among them. They didn't imitate him until he rose again from the dead. But he saw them getting up in the morning. His devotional life. They saw him. If you want to narrowly use the word devout. Basically, he saw how, they saw how devoted he was to God and how devoted he was to them and how just he was and how blameless he was. He said, you saw. Okay. They had a living example in their midst and all it took was three weeks and the church knew what Christianity was all about. Though they were born again, they had a living model, living model. And not only that, look at verse seven and verse 11. How was he with them? I love that two verses. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Gentle, like a nursing mother cherishes her own children. He says, you know how I was with you? And go to verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. He says, I was a mother and a father to you. No. Mother and father are different. They are not the same. The roles are not the same. Mothers are usually gentle, and the fathers have to teach. And he says, I was a mother and a father to you. You know, you have a man like that among you for thirty days, that's enough. You don't have to go to seminary anywhere. You have a living gospel in your midst. No bitterness. No pulling rank, gives himself. And how does he give himself? Devout, just, blameless. How does he give it to the people? Gentle like a mother with a nursing baby. And he has heard about Jesus. A smoking flax he will not put out. A bruise reed he will not break. You will not hear his voice shouting in the streets. He is gentle like a mother. And also as a father. How we? Exhorted comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children ok and yet we come to verse 9 ok yeah verse 9 and you remember brethren of a labor and toil grace works toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preached you the gospel of God he says I am among your mates I looked at you and you know what that you're all poor. <laughs> You're struggling. You know what? I'm going to, work. imagine you are somewhere for 30 days and it still works. I'm not boasting. Till today from never from a poor church have I taken their money. They g- I know. First time I've gone, I know how much they will give you. And you know what? If they give me 2,000, I'll put 3,000 in the offering back. Till today, never, ever. I learned from this. Never. I will always put more than, than what they have given. And even to the pastors who will give me an office oh, thing, I know they are poor. When they are dropping me, I will put that. and Then I'll call them and say, it is there in this place in your house. I have kept it for you. All the churches that have been poor and most of the churches God has sent me are poor. Are poor. Very few churches have been rich. You know where I learned from? I learned from another man of God. No, man of God. I pay my own way. I pay my own boarding unless they give me the, in their house. And I put in the offering. You know why? Because that's what I learned from another man of God. If you have learned it and it works for Paul, it works for any one of us. It works for any one of us. And that's what he's talking about. You see how grace works in the realm of giving. In the realm of giving, you give. So there there was a church, and you know what? And the church saw the church, he was a living example to them. Okay, so what is he telling the church in Corinth? He's telling the church in Corinth, you know what? Be like the Thessalonians. They had a living example. Okay, let's go back to Second Corinthians 8 and verse 7. What is he saying? Excel. You need to excel. Okay. Forbid. Yeah, 8 and verse 7. See that you abound or Excel in this grace also. You're good in everything. Corinth, I like you. You're good in faith, you love, knowledge, but you know what? In to this giving part. Macedonia puts you to shame. The churches in Macedonia put to shame. They give. They are givers. You know what? He's he's not shaming them, but he's challenging them. You say see, you know why is he able to challenge them? We'll see, you. we'll see why. Verses one to three. Yeah, same chapter, one to three. Why is he able to challenge another church? Why is he able to challenge? Look at this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God, grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He's not saying the churches of Macedonia are great. He's saying it's the grace that was upon Macedonia. He's exalting grace, not Macedonia. He said Macedonia can do it by grace. You also can do it. Anybody can do it. It is the grace of God. Okay? And what is that? In the great trial of affliction, they were affliction okay? and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty they are not just poor they are very poor very poor they are not just poor they are very poor but their poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality he says you know what you know how they gave out of their poverty Okay, he said they really gave these people really really gave He says, these people really, really gave. And he's commending our church. Look at what, verse 5, how did they give? That's the key. How did they give? Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Second, they gave to us. And third, they did everything according to the will of God. They They gave themselves. And how did they learn? They learned from Paul. He says, he gives himself. How can we restrain? This man who's from Jerusalem risks his life for us. He goes through trials and storms and beatings and jail and chains and comes. And in our land, our people beat him up. Nothing is stopping him. He's still giving and giving and giving. You know what? They saw him. They said, you know what? We want to give ourselves over to the Lord. This is this is authentic. This is real. This is real. No? And in verse 4, you know what they gave them? So look at verse 4. It's interesting. Imploring, they're begging with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They are begging, because the people who are, must have come must have said, oh, that's okay, you are, no, you are poor, no, you are okay, you know, this thing, you no. Know? And they are saying, no, they are begging, please, please accept this. for the What is this? This is a problem. This is severe famine scarcity in Jerusalem. So Those are taken an offering for a set of people whom they have never seen. There is sympathy and there is Empathy. Sympathies for people you see, your emotions are more. What about people you have never seen? And you may never see. They never saw them. Never saw them. Ten years, most of the people we have helped as a church will never see. They'll never see. Okay, do we have to see? <laughs> do you have to see the parts of your internal organs to eat? No. You never will see them and if you see, then you're dead. But you take very good care of them, right? Very good care of them. And God is talking about that. They're imploring. They're begging. They're imploring. They're begging. And you know, this is the gospel in action. Gospel has got two feet and two hands. No, he's not asking for money. He's not trying to put them on a guilt trip or anything. He's telling about the way the kingdom of God operates, how grace operates and telling the Corinthian church, you're good in so many things like God tells the Ephesus church. You're very good, but you've fallen from the, go back and do. Love gives. You're not doing that things. You're so good in doctrine and works and all, but you're not giving yourself. That's basically he's telling the Ephesus church. You're not giving yourself. When I look at you, outwardly bow. Anybody comes from outside will also say, wow, but I'm looking inside. You're not giving. You're keeping yourself from it. Your heart is not in it. Your heart is not. Your life is not in it. You're good. You're good. But your life is not in it. Okay. In the letter to the church in Philippi, okay, when he's Philippians chapter 4, he will talk about it. Verse 15. Onwards for, verse, verse Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You know, he says, he's writing to Philippians, he says, you know, churches in Macedonia, you know what, you guys are, you guys are cool. You know what? I would expect this from Jerusalem and Antioch and all. You know what? They have a history of Judaism. They are converts. They know already know their Torah. Their entire life was peace offering and that offering and tithing and this thing. But you guys, blow them out of the way. <laughs> and sometimes the Gentiles do. And the poor Gentiles blow them out. I remember still when I was ministering in that time in the underground church, when the pastor used to ask uh, this week, uh, where can we have the cottage meeting? Always there is a restriction I mean, cottage meeting whenever they hear about it, you know if you have something, the first thing when you have a good house, the first thing people will think oh, all these people will come to my house and mess it up because most of the people are poor in that church okay then oh, if fifteen people turn up after fellowship is there, I will have to get them these things. Almost nine out of time, ten times, the ones who put up their hands were the poorest in the church. And I have loved going there. They lived in small little huts with tin roofs. Some of them just had what you call this, not even plywood. Yeah, plywood in which these uh, boxes, you know what, machines and all comes in that boxes for safety. Houses are made with that and plastered with newspaper inside. And that's how they live, quarry workers. Okay, all they can give you is red tea and the cheapest biscuit you get in the open market. Sit on the floor, eat with them happily, but the houses were always open and they thought it was a great thing. The servant of God came to their house and they had a Bible study in their house. They were always the first ones, always the first ones. Okay, and I'm telling you the truth. The kingdom of God, the church of God, even today runs on the giving of the poor, not the rich. The rich big tech all give to the crooks, but the poor are the ones who give. It runs on the wheels of the poor. Okay, they're talking about crowdfunding and all. It didn't start with big tech. It started with God. Okay, it started. It's the poor who always give. It runs on the poor. And they make no demands. They're just thrilled for an opportunity to serve. And that's what they're talking about. You know, Philippians, you know, the church in Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Only you only. If you come towards 18 and 19, you know, yeah, same thing, yeah. Indeed, I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Ephaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They sent an offering, and in the Spirit, he says, you know what? God is so pleased. He sees this as a sacrifice because you gave out of your poverty and your affliction, out of genuine, sheer love and thanksgiving. All you want to is to wash the feet of the saints. You are looking back at Jerusalem and you are thinking, you know what? Jerusalem, if the church in Jerusalem hadn't been there, we would not have been saved. They sent out all these people. And Paul came all the way. You know, we got an opportunity to help him. Opportunity to help him. And they gave. And out of that, see, we only know Philippians 4, 19. We thought 16, 17, 18, we talk about 19 all the time. My God shall supply all. Why is he so confident that his God will supply the need of the church in Philippi or the churches in Macedonia? He says, I know your heart. I know how you have given. And I can stand on the word of God that to whom who gives, God will give. God is no man's debtor. Okay, It's not like today. The Charlton's on TV asking, give, 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 give. Give. I know, Without giving either anything or giving themselves. This is a man who gave himself his entire life, everything. And then the church sees that man and they give out of their poverty. And he says, you know what? The whole thing has risen. Paul's life is going up as an aroma. The Philippian Macedonian church is offering his government aroma. God is tickling. And if you look at that, the world doesn't even see these people. They are poor, beaten up, marginalized, authorized. They are not mega churches, nothing. But God is well pleased with them. You have to look at fundamentally has to what is Christian or what I would like to call grace living. What is grace living? This is grace living. That is what for grace is given. You know? So Paul was not just a preacher of the gospel. He was living testimony. And the churches in Macedonia became living testimony of the life of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this question. The gospel that was preached was the same everywhere. The gospel went to Africa. The gospel went to Asia. The gospel went to India. The gospel went to China. The gospel went to Europe. Europe was taken over completely by the gospel because of the nature of the people. They gave. They gave. The gospel is still struggling in all the other nations. They just gave. By the time 300 years were over, almost the whole of Europe was Christian. Then they started sending missionary to the rest of the world. Yet, gospel came here 2,000 years ago. Where have you reached? You know why? Because we are takers. We are takers. We don't give. We don't give. Further east you go, we are all. Because that's the nature of the devil. The devil is a taker. God is a giver. We don't give. We are takers and that nature has to be broken if the gospel has to go. The people have to see that the gospel is authentic, that this is what grace does. Grace does and the, 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 the governments and the systems know that. That is why the government cracks down on all foreign missions from helping any church in the third world. Why do they crack down? All NGOs, FCR, everything Of oh, course, there are crooks over there. But a lot of genuine are also there. And they really reach out and help the people. And you know what? They don't want that. Because that is something they don't want to know. Because if the gospel becomes authentic, people will turn to that God. Because every other God only takes. Our God gives. And God's people are givers. They are not takers. They take. Yeah, but because God gives. But that's not the point. The point is that they are givers. They are givers primarily. And that is the power of the gospel. And it comes to an individual level, individual level, as a person, as a, like you have children here, young children, givers, teach them to be givers, bachelors here, givers, then when you get into marriage, givers, both givers, families, Givers, then a family that comes out becomes a giving family. You have 10 families that like that in a church. It becomes a giving church. You know what is happening? The testimony of God is going. That was the testimony in the book of Acts. How these people love each other. God was keys. God could simply add people into them. You know what? They would take care of them. And Bible says they had everything in common. The rich was giving, the poor, and everybody was fine. Nobody was thinking about holding mine, 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 nothing. You know what? There was a giving church. A giving church. And that's what the Bible is talking about. So Paul was not just a preacher. He was a true testimony of what Jesus had said in John one four. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So you have an individual. The apostle who planted the church, and the church itself radiating the life of Christ. And that becomes the light of men. And Paul is able to say like he said in Galatians 2.20 the life that I live because the first original giver is God I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, And ultimately it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you are a politician, you are a politician, or whether you are, let us say, municipal worker, sweeper, you can give. You can give. It doesn't matter. How many politicians do we know who gave? (laughs) We know in India one, The name was Gandhi. (laughs) He could have become anything. They would have crowned him king if he had wanted. (laughs) He had that hold on the nation. He said, I don't want (laughs) I don't want. He was a. He was a. He was a politician who gave, literally gave his life for the nation. I mean, in those days, who was a lawyer educated in Britain? You could have had a roaring profession over there. How many times did he go to jail? (laughs) Okay. How many times he was in prison, thrown out of trains and all, literally onto the platform and all. Right? He was a giver. Mm -hmm. George Washington, the first. He they wanted to make him king. (laughs) Only one term. Thank you. Even you want to talk about President Trump, went into office with 5 billion, came out with 2 billion. He's the only president who did not make money, lost money, didn't take a salary also, one dollar. Everybody went in a pauper, came out a millionaire. So God is saying, are you a giver? Are you a taker? That's how you judge people. Even in any sphere, in politics and all, you just look at them and say, are these people givers or takers? There are talkers, Takers and givers. That's what God is asking us. You no, know? as a church, we need to, that's, that's the testimony of Christ. That's the testimony of God. You no? Know? And how do we give? God says, you no, know, the grace of giving. Please remember, I'm not talking about money. Money is just a small part of it. It's, it's whatever you do. Are you giving or not? Matthew 8, 10 and verse 8. 10 and verse 8. Ten eight, you put eight ten, ten eight. I was also wondering the numbers are there, how did I go wrong? Okay. 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 Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Then he says, freely you have, give, receive. Free. How do you give? Freely. Freely. Freely give. Okay, freely give. Romans twelve eight. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with a liberality. How do you give? Liberally. Freely? Liberally. Liberally. Second Corinthians 9-7. Nine, seven. Nine, seven. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves us cheerfully. So how do you give? Decisively. You have already made your mind. You are not going to change, like, if I have made my mind, for 2021, Lord, I want to give at least minimum 10%. Uh, and then February becomes very difficult, Lord. This month only 5%, Lord. No, you purpose in your heart. Make a decision. Make a decision. Stick to that. Don't change. Purposeful. Let each one, there's no, there is no grudging or necessary, no compulsion, nothing. It's between you and God. That's one of the reasons we said from the beginning, don't put your names on the covers. let it just be you and God. We don't want to know. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. How do you give with purpose, decisively. Second, how do you give cheerfully? So you give freely, you give liberally, you give with purpose, and you give cheerfully. It's not enough. second corinthians eight twelve. For if there is first a willing mind, no coercion, nothing, look, this is not lottery given, it shall be given unto you, no none of these things. No gambling, nothing. If there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not. have. Give it willingly and only according to what you have. You don't have to outbid somebody. This is not an auction either. This is what happened to Ananias and Safira. They saw Barnabas being accepted because he sold land and put the money at the feet. They said, "This is a good idea to go up in the ranks. What will we do? We'll also say sell some of the land, keep the money at home, bring a portion and very generously put it at the feet. They will say, "Oh, these are liberal givers, and Safira, please join the group of elders." Instead they died. They died. You know why? Because they're giving. Was not motivated by the Spirit of God. The giving was motivated by the devil. You know, the devil can motivate giving. Okay. And that's a, first there be a willing man. Give willingly. Okay. And not according to what you do not have, but what you have. No? So please note this fundamentally because we are looking at God. In every, you'll we'll always see that in life. I've noticed. Givers are always happy. Takers us, take us are always miserable because it's never enough. You always will see they are miserable. Givers are always happy. That's the nature. Because you cannot give without inflow coming in. When you give, inflow comes in. It comes in. That's the nature of God. Why? We love because He first loved us. Loved us. We give because He first gives. We work because He, he works. works. <laughs> we eat because of our Father provides. We don't eat because we work. We work. We eat because our father provides. Efficiency 428. So that we get our thinking gap not upside down like boys wear, but the right side. We wear it. The right side. Okay? Right side. Let him who stole steal no longer, but la- rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Our entire idea why we work has to change. The world works to eat. We don't work to eat. We eat because our Father provides. As simple as that. Until you get this in your mind, you will never break the curse of work. We don't work to eat. Though that may be the way your money comes, but we don't work to eat. We work to give. God does not work to eat. (laughs) Imagine God working to eat. Oh, Jesus, did you work enough? How much wages did you get? We need to cook. no? God does not work to eat. God does not work to eat. God works. Basically to give. He created the whole universe. He created the entire earth. Filled it with everything I can see. There are, st- If I am right, there are at least 10,000 lakes in Canada still not discovered. Hmm. I has not seen what God has created. Forget what we haven't seen. There are parts of the earth which has not been discovered till today. People still do not know. These things are there. Okay, where man hasn't reached. Okay, so you think about it. That's what I read somewhere. Okay, that ten or fifteen thousand. is this was the record of some years back. Think about it. Okay. So God gives, we eat because God provides. <clears throat> he created this entire earth, filled it with all beautiful things, and said to the man, "Take." He created a place, planted it full of fruit trees, took a man. Put him there, he said, eat and work. He didn't say work and eat. Firstly, provision was there. He had to get it. So why do we work? We work to give. We work to give. That's the reason we work. The reason we work is to give ourselves. And ultimately we, give. we can work by giving just your money and not yourself. Or you can work in a way where you pour your life into your work. This is what God has called. It can be anything menial. It can be anything. It does not matter. I mean, if you look at this, ask this question, the way Joseph worked in Potiphar's palace, what difference does it make? It does make a difference to God, because it's his testimony. What is the report? Potiphar said, this Hebrew's God is with him. That was the testimony. He put his heart into it, and he was kind, he was not bitter, he was nothing at all. Loving, gentle like a father, mother, no? When he is in the prison, he never mentions about what happened to him, to Potiphar, or Mrs. Potiphar, what they did to him, or about his brothers. Never mentions any of those things. Nothing in his heart. Still working. Still working. Okay? The pictures are there in the Bible. Okay? So we do not know how long Paul was in Thessalonica or Philippi. Okay? Beaten up in one place, chased out in another. But you know what? Just a few days or weeks in a place changed those cities and changed our lives because we have a letter to the church in Philippi. We have two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And we have been blessed for 2,000 years. The church has been blessed. Okay? And the Bible says, One man became example and a church... Churches in Macedonia became examples. Okay. So God puts, if I'm right in, yeah, it's okay. The example was set by Christ. It is in 2 Corinthians 8. For our sake. Yeah. Yeah, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. How did it all become? Who was the person? 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes there. That though he was rich, I'd say, hmm, What? Rich. He was rich. He owns everything. <laughs> Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might may become rich. So it was shown by Jesus first. He was rich. He became poor. For our sake. Okay. And that's Paul is saying. I saw Jesus and I followed him. They saw Paul and they followed him. But as close, before we pray, note, this is the most blatantly misused scripture about giving. People will use these terms all over TV. Give till it hurts. No. (laughs) Paul never told it. God never told anybody to give till it hurts. He doesn't do stuff like that. He doesn't do like that stuff. Okay. There was a case of a pastor who was, if I'm right, was in Canada. Okay, Uh, he sent his letter to this lady in a senior citizen home. Okay, saying that the Lord is saying that you have to sow into my ministry, otherwise this judgment is coming upon you. Okay, so when he was brought to court. He said, "But you cannot uh, reject the word of the Lord. That is what the Lord told me." But they said, "The problem is the woman has been dead for three months." Which God told you? God told you. You need to realize, no. This that's why I said this is one of the most misused portions in Scripture. The Charlton's come in and they put you on a guilt trip or they put you on an ego trip. Give and it shall be given to you. Press together, shaken together. It will come. Even in this city, how many people have lost, you know, where the pastor says, the word of the Lord is here for me. You need to, you're going to get a car. And if you don't have the money, take a loan and buy a car. Because you know what? The Lord is going to bless you, double blessing, nothing. They all went bankrupt. And this is the whole problem. You know why? Because these people have never, this is how the devil comes in and changes. Because these are people who never gave their lives over to God and for the people. Never gave them lives over to the people. And you know what? Then they pick these things and make the pulpit into a place to make money. Easy money. you think about it. That's what happens in U.S. all the time. You have 10,000 or 1 million or 20,000 people on your subscriber list. You send the same letter to everybody. The Spirit of the Lord is telling me on 20th, that's how it will go. 20th February 2021, sow $20 into my ministry. That is your seed. You send it to 10,000 people. At least 500 will send. You made your money. And they get nothing. You know. Paul didn't do any stuff of that. Any stuff of that, you know. And this is where we have to be very, very careful. You know what? He exhorted churches to give. But he lived a very authentic life before them. Authentic life before them. That was the key. And to prove that point before we close, because this point has to be proved. Hmm? Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. 12 verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came in and threw in two mites, which, makes, which make a quadrant. He called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of the abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had, her own livelihood. He said, you know what? He was not looking at the amount. He said, you know what? She's just given herself. Given herself. Given herself. But don't miss the second side of what he's trying to tell us. Okay. Whom is he talking about? Verse 40. Verse 40. Who's talking about the Pharisees who devour widows' houses? See that? She gave everything. You know where this money goes? They spend it. They devour. They give nothing in return. They won't allow even these widows to come anywhere close to them. They won't minister to them. They won't take her. They won't do anything. They devour And you know what is? Look at the structure. They have built with all this money. Now go to subsequent verses. That is 13, 1 and 2. Remember? There was no chapter divisions then. 44 is the last verse. And... 13, one and 2. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another. that shall not be thrown down. You know why? Because this was built by money that was devoured from the widows. And every ministry you see is crashing around the world, because they have dropped the widows and the poor. Even their food stamps. Pastors used to say, you can send the food stamps, we will cash it. People who are living on poverty line, living on food stamps. So when we say judgment begins in the house of God, it does begin in the house of God. So people who never gave themselves, never gave themselves. That's why we have to put the warning label over here. That's why we bring Jesus who was rich, became poor for our sake. Paul, who was rich and going up in the ladder, became poor and lived an authentic life before them. And he is not talking about the church in Rome or the church, and he's talking about the poorest of churches, the Macedonian churches. And he says, you just look at them. The heart goes out to them. In their affliction and in their poverty, they have given so much and they're begging to give more. And he says, when I was in trouble and I had nothing, you know what? All these churches I had established all around Asia. He had church everywhere. But he says, you know what? The churches in Macedonia was the one who remembered me. They were the ones who remembered me. It's interesting, right? He has all these churches around the world, everywhere. But he says, you know what? When I was in affliction, you know what? Meaning, God could only touch the hearts of the people in Macedonia. Philip by Thessalonica had to send an offering to Paul. And all the other churches, God couldn't speak to them. Couldn't be touched because this is the grace of giving. You know. So grace gives. Grace gives. And we have to reframe our lives. Reframe our lives. You know why? Because we have to teach, even our children, we have to teach to be givers in the house. Do this, do this, and do it. Do it cheerfully. Don't make a big face when you have to fold up your sheets and make your bed and clean the house. No, give yourself. You know why? When you do what you can do in your little room, what happens? You're giving a part of yourself and you are, you know, what did you But what did I give? You gave mommy and daddy extra time to do their work because I don't have to do that too. we are all giving. we are all giving that way in the church. Imagine 100 people in the church. All hundred are givers. It goes on very seasonally. Everybody will be looking out an opportunity to see, where can I give? <laughs> you remember Johan who came from Bangalore? <laughs> First day he came to church. Next thing he said, church, he's busy doing things over there. "It's his church. Which is true. It doesn't matter which church you go to, which city you go It's your church. Because it belongs to your father. <laughs> belongs to your father. And you just give it over there. And that's how... The Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. That's how Joseph worked. He was the giver. Okay? As I close, one final line. God is coming sooner or later. And he's coming not for the church. He's coming for his bride. It's a difference. He's coming for his bride. We say he's coming for the church. God just knows I'm coming for my son's bride There is a wedding feast. I'm coming for my bride because there's a wedding has been fixed. And there is a picture there. The picture is Abraham, Isaac and Eliezer. Okay? Incredible picture. God the Father symbol, Holy Spirit, Eliezer, Isaac, Jesus. Eliezer is being sent. For what? Find a bride for him. Eliezer is a man after God's own heart. How do you know? Because in Genesis 15, Abraham will say, this is the heir. If I don't have children, he takes everything. He has no issues. I suck should. I suck should be born. and I suck should have a wife. I suck should have the best wife. I suck should have children. You know why? It is mine to give. It's His rightfully. I should not have it at His cost. It is His. If any other crook was there, you would try to keep Sarah barren and to see no children are born in this household because it is mine. It is mine. But it is, it is not that. Holy Spirit is not like when He comes, He will never speak about Himself. He will speak about Jesus. There is no jealousy, no envy, nothing in the Trinity. They are all give us, all three gifts. Okay, They all give you. And when He comes... After a long journey, when he, and that also Abraham is the giver. He's said, 10 camels full of loaded with gifts. Abraham is sending 10 camels loaded with gifts. And his aliyahs are coming. And when he kneels down outside the well, only one prayer request. When the girl comes, I will ask her, please water my, give me some water. And she will say, Master, I will give you water, your servants and the camels too. Only one. The bride of Ra- Ra- Isaac has to be a giver. The bride of Jesus Christ is a giver. Because why? The husband is a giver. How can have you can have a giver and a conjuice together? How will they go along? One side will one you the husband puts the hand, the wife is pulling it back. Or the wife is giving, the husband is pulling back. How can they walk together? The husband is generous, the wife has to be generous. Right? That is Jesus and his bride. That is the grace of giving. Okay, so we saw. Five parts of grace. Grace takes the penalty. Grace gives you the power over, right, of sin. Grace gives you the strength strength to work hard today. It teaches you and grace gives you the, opens up your heart to give. Tomorrow we look at the next one. God willing, if it doesn't change between now and in the morning. Okay. So we shall pray. We shall pray. Get these fundamentals in your heart, in your mind and train you. Say, Lord, no, we can't do these things on our own, but we need teaching. Once we need teaching, then we ask, Lord, I need the grace to be a giver in my life, in my home, in my church, in my office, wherever I go, Lord, help me to be a giver. Else, could you come, honey? Come. Father, this morning, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Around the world, Lord, where your children are hearing. Pastors are listening. Evangelists are listening. So many people are listening. We will probably never see any one of them. But it does not matter. I pray, Lord, the grace of God. They will understand the power of God's grace. And all of us will be givers till the end. Then we can say, I have fought the good fight. But the fight was against our flesh not to give. The fight, the flesh fights against the spirit because the flesh wants to take, it does not want to give. But the spirit is the giver. And Paul could say that he finished well because his entire life was poured out as an offering to God and to God's people. And I pray, Father, today, That same Spirit, that same grace would come upon all of us, Lord. Because there is no shortage in heaven. Your word says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth and out of His abundance of His grace we have received blessing after blessing after blessing. You are a God who wants to pour out your grace upon the whole earth. All you are looking is for vessels that are willing to be filled and to be poured out. poured out. And we know it in practical life, Lord. There is nothing that we can go out and buy from the market. A bottle of water or a bottle of oil or a can of juice. If it is not poured out, it is useless. It was filled to be poured out. We ask, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But God says, what is the use if you don't pour it out? And I pray, Father, today, Even now. Oh, Father, let there be an infilling of the Holy Spirit, O Lord, who are hungry, thirsty, willing to pour out your life through them. Lord, as we have said over and over, that's what we are. Channels only. The blessings are yours. The power is yours. The grace is yours. Oh, Father, that your grace would pour out of our lives, that nations would be blessed. You told the Lord, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Out of you shall flow rivers of the living water. The Holy Spirit is given to be given away. And He can keep filling us over and over and over again so that it can be given out. And given out, O Lord. Given out. O Father, I pray faith will arise. Faith will arise. That people, it doesn't matter in what sphere of work you have called them, wherever you have placed them in homes, struggling homes, Sad homes, miserable homes. I pray today's word will go into their heart and they will start giving in their homes. And suddenly they will realize the joy of the Lord comes. Even if they don't get anything back, God will keep giving. Fill them hearts with peace and with joy. For that's the kingdom of God. When you died on the cross, the only thing you took You took our sins. But you gave us your righteousness. You gave us your righteousness. The God of heaven and earth. The earth and its fullness belongs to God. The silver and the gold are yours. The cattle on the 10,000 hills are yours. Everything is yours. You don't have to take anything. Everything is yours. Yet the only thing you took was my sin. So that I don't have to bear it. The only thing you took was my penalty that I would not have to die. But what you gave in return cannot be bought with silver or gold. You didn't redeem us with silver or gold. You redeemed us with your blood, with your life. You're not asking us to do anything you didn't do first. You're asking for a church to arise around the world A remnant church will arise. Who will be like the axe church. A church that gives and gives and gives. And God can trust them and pour out his grace upon them. Oh Father. That's our prayer. People. Simple people. Men and women. From people who work on the streets. Sweepers. Engineers. Plumbers, electricians, carpenters, it doesn't matter who are the politicians, senators, congressmen, it does not matter who they are. Vessels of grace through whom your grace will pour out. Then the world will know God is real. That our religion is real. For you said through your servant James, this is pure religion. To remain unspotted from the world And to take care of orphans and widows. The helpless. I pray father. Move. In our midst. Move in us. Flow through us O lord. That we are givers. When our children. Little children. Are taught. To give. Because these things have to be taught. You taught your disciples. Your disciples taught the church. And Mass Church in Thessalonica. Became a model to all the other churches in their affliction, and in their poverty. They were known for giving. They were known as a giving church. Oh, Father, help us to be known as a giving people.